Hello and welcome to the First Issue Club podcast. We are your weekly comic book show and reading club for the most important issues in the comic book industry. That's right, First Issues. The free ones, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) My pocketbook wishes. Uh, What is a pocketbook? A book full of pockets. It is not. (laughs) (laughs) It's a book full of slots, though. (laughs) Okay, your pocketbook wishes. That comics were free. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> yes. You ever have that, that experience where you look at a book and you want to know if it's good or if other people are talking about it? Don't you wish you had a reading club for that? Some kind of show where they tell me if it's good or not? That's this. This First Issue Club podcast. Yeah, you're in it right now. You're you, doing it. Yeah, you found it. You're here. <laughs> if you're new, you're so clear to what we're doing here. <laughs> Mike D, tell them what we do. Again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about two first issues, Doctor Who out on Titan Comics and The Recount on Scout Comics. But first, our topic of the week. Were you going to say something? No. Oh. Yeah, you were You were leaning in like you had something <laughs> just up. to like, fucking yeah. drop on, on us. I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I was hoping you weren't going to have me explain it. So I, was, oh, no. I was actually trying to be like, oh, don't <laughs> no, no, no. no, don't pick on me. Don't pick on me. After 175 episodes, we've got no clue what each other's cues are. <laughs> well, I think the not being able to see half each other's faces is... That's the... tough. We're masked up in here. We're being extra cautious, and we're spread well over six feet apart. Well... In any case, (laughs) Franklin Richards is the son of the Fantastic Four couple, Reed and Sue Richards, better known as Stretchy Man and Invisible Woman. Yes. Isn't it unfair that everyone else in the Fantastic Four gets a real superhero name and then Sue Storm is just Invisible Woman? It's just like the most base way to describe her. (laughs) Well, I mean... Don't they just that call would be Reed like, Mr. Fantastic? Yeah, but that's at least a name, right? Right. Like, I mean, they could have just called her the woman. So I bet they were like, just be thankful that, you know, uh, we, it, we, it, we say what point. you can yeah. do. <laughs> it would be like calling the human torch flame guy and yeah. the thing rock the man. Rock man. man. Rock the hard man. man. Invisible woman <laughs> and str- <laughs> stretchy yeah. guy. Come to me, hard on. <laughs> yeah, they should have called her invisible woman waiting around for a man to explain what she does to somebody else. <laughs> hey, they were introduced in the 50s. It was a different time. You know how you know uh, that Franklin is their kid? How's that? Because Franklin is a child's name. Once you hit 15, you drop the Lynn. Ah, go to Frank. Yeah. I don't know a single Franklin. Frank. Now that's a man's name. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't either. Yeah. That's... I know I knew a Franklin. He was a turtle. Yes, exactly. And Franklin. And a child. It, he's he, per- he perma. I think he was perma three or he, perma four. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Rare condition that <laughs> turtles have. I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> no, but he could read. He had on. books and he like went to school. You're not familiar we're with, getting Fra- off the with subject Frank, Franklin the turtle? <laughs> no. Yeah. Are we getting into it? <laughs> He's Are we like, doing this, guys? <laughs> I think he's part of like the Richard Scary uh, universe. Oh, the little... Uh, yeah, it was a PBS show. The Apple like guy. Like Arthur and yeah. Franklin the who drives and the Little Bear. Yeah. 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 He's in the Wormiverse. <laughs> no, he's not in the he, Wormiverse. He had his own thing. He was standalone. <laughs> he's adjacent. Okay, more like... Um, <laughs> we are not like doing Arthur this. Like Arthur or like <laughs> Little Arthur. Bear. Yeah, Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he is to Richard Scary. <laughs> As Arthur is to tube socks. 
They're yeah. just like completely different, separate things. <laughs> yeah, that, sure. if, that uh-huh. were, if that were an SAT question, uh-huh. the answer would be yes. Okay, great. <laughs> now that we have that squared away. <laughs> yes. So Schemas are intact. <laughs> the Richards of the Fantastic Four have had kids for a long time, both super-powered. Their daughter, Valeria, is super smart, much like her father. And Franklin Richards has always been a mutant. So An Omega-level mutant. He's one of the most powerful mutants that exists in the Marvel Universe. So there's always been some sort of conversation surrounding whether or not he's going to end up in the X-Men at some point. So this conversation that we're having today has multiple layers. <laughs> the first of which is the storyline of Fantastic Four said Franklin is no longer a mutant in about half a page. It and was, yeah. That's upset some people because we didn't get a big payoff for this thing we've been expecting and excited about for years and years and years. Instead, it was written off saying that Franklin Richards is so powerful that he willed himself to be a mutant Mm-hmm. because of his reality-shaping powers. Like he changed his own biology? He essentially disguised his own genes down to the molecular level so much so that Charles Xavier himself couldn't even tell that he was non-mutant. Right, He did exactly. this intentionally? Is that the argument? He, well, subconsciously. Subconsciously, correct. Okay. He wanted to be a mutant so badly that he tricked his own body into believing it was. Now, early on our text chain, we compared this to Riverdale, saying that this is like making (laughs) Jughead rich mid-season of Riverdale and just saying his rich relative died. Now he's got a mansion and golden boats. And then not explaining anything further. Like, it was just a slap upside the head. So, to take that metaphor, like, further, Jughead's, like, definitive nature is that he lives in a trailer and, right. it, like, can't afford things. Right. So, like, Franklin is literally defined by the fact that he's a mutant. It was that he was caught between two worlds of, I want to be with my family, who are, quote-unquote, non-mutants, and I want to know more about my mutant self, which is going to Krakoa and potentially living part-time with X-Men, learning about my history. He would have been a big get for the X-Men. It was kind of like a a sports situation where you're trying to draft Franklin Richards one side or the other. And that's what the Fantastic Four vs. X-Men series that Chip Zdarsky wrote, that's what basically that was all about. And it seemed to set Franklin up as the most important chess piece on the X-Men table. So to just remove that chess piece without any reason was kind of shocking to fans. By saying that he he isn't naturally a mutant, are they saying that he can't be anymore? Or has he now willed himself not to be anymore? Or what? He has exhausted his reality-shifting powers. So he's no longer able to affect reality around him and is therefore no longer a mutant. Got it. And, And I kind of maybe understand why Marvel or Dan Slott wanted to do this. It's hard to write compelling stories when you have a character that essentially has all the cheat codes right and can do whatever whenever he wants yeah you would say why wouldn't he just snap his fingers and fix it however the way dan slot went about it was poor it was the worst retcon i've seen in a while now okay the one entity that knows more about marvel chess pieces is marvel do you think that they <laughs> That's kind of what I'm thinking though. Then Marvel. That's kind of what I'm thinking though. They wouldn't they have to have a game plan for this. 
right? Like it doesn't have seem to. like somebody said, hey, Dan, you did this in a half page. Maybe you didn't want to do that. Even like, let's say this is even a red herring wherein Mr. Fantastic has convinced Professor X to lie to his son and tell him he actually isn't a mutant. Mm hmm. I even still would have given it a couple more pages. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like, it just happened, like, in an instant, and then we moved on. That's true. You're not really, like, diverting attention to it if it is a red herring. Like, it's not very much misdirection if it is supposed to be. Did it make you want to stop reading Fantastic Four? The answer is no. <laughs> it, it makes me a lot less stoked about the future of a character that I thought was going to be a a huge linchpin in in Marvel going forward. Um, But we also need to mention there's another reason people are mad. And really the conversation is what kind of responsibility do creators have to honor that mutants in Marvel comics were created to represent persecuted people? And can we ever be far enough removed from that idea that we don't have to always treat it with the same weight as you would gender or race i mean obviously superhero comics need to be fun but the characters also bear some weight for readers as like proxies for a marginalized experience i mean it's almost like saying that was a phase of your life where you wanted it to be this way but now it's not so kind of invalidating yeah right it is kind of invalidating you have this rejection of something that you were born as or you are to your core and then to say you got Franklin a, was the one that was wrong. Right. You got a 23andMe test and you're not gay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's essentially what it was yeah. trying to lay out here. Your family was right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think with like with Jonathan Hickman's newest incarnation of the X-Men with Hawks and Pox, you saw a very queer identity represented through the X-Men. Gene, Cyclops, and Wolverine are in a relationship together. And that's never been explored before, really. And so you get more of this identity that X-Men is now exploring gender fluidity, different kinds of sexuality. And so Franklin then takes on this kind of identity as this person who is blossoming and exploring their own fluidity. And then to have this community who is supposed to maybe represent that LGBTQ community saying, no, we don't want you, that sends a very strange message to children who are learning more about themselves of just like, oh, the community that I want to be so much a part of can reject me. Or that that community itself can be intolerant. Right, yeah. I mean, it sends a very muddy message. And you know, the world is muddy. And murky. <laughs> but, <laughs> the but, landscape, you might say. But we expect our escapism to have a certain level of clarity, right? Yeah, and right. I, and it's just like, uh, Dan Slott has written some brilliant stories. Oh, so I'm a huge fan. Superior it, Spider-Man was one of my favorite runs of Spider-Man in a, in a long time. And it's just like, I don't see him as a person that would do this with malicious intent or any kind of agenda. However, people were upset on Twitter. Dan Slott did the thing you're not supposed to do. Do not engage. He engaged. Daniel, do not engage oh, with no. this kind of... He, what did he every, do? Me- every message. Every, every message he was like popping thing, back? He was popping back until finally I think some exec at marvel was just like dan you have got to stop it because you are creating a whole thing right now and so he just, like, so he was so he mode. was defending his like i he, did it quickly because of this or like he was trying to rationalize with people who were in an emotional state that was not ready to hear his explanation 
or weren't. So he did confirm it was more about retconning and cleaning up. There's not an end game that we just don't know. He he said he alluded to that the story isn't over yet, which says there's more to tell. Yeah. And the other thing was he responded to a few tweets of just like, how am I supposed to tell a story with a kid who can do anything? I've heard and I feel like it's valid, but like you have several characters that have been able to have complex as hell storylines yes. because they're dealing with personal like you can have blockages to your powers like you have your vision storyline you have captain marvel going through identity shit like there are super powerful people that you can still break it down enough to where it's interesting to read about them even though they can do anything there have been three different times in different she hulk runs where she hasn't been able to change either from jen into she hulk or from she hulk to jen all because of mental blocks. Yeah. I don't know if you're Dan Slott, if you're just like, I've read so many comics and that's maybe a tired way to write this off. I mean, I could certainly see in, me being like this again, the old mental block thing. In my, in my stint in writing, whenever I would run into this s- scenario, I would do the rule that y- you should, you should do is um, you give them another butthole. <laughs> I was See? I was wondering I mean, where this was if going. If he can shift his own reality, yeah, he, you oh, add that third butthole. Maybe he does that subconsciously. So now he's got to figure out why did I want to do that. Right. Yeah. At the got point, some more exploring. At the to point do. that you have three, so much exploring. At the point, but the point that you have <laughs> literally <laughs> ambiguous. Right. The point that you have three buttholes. You're not concerned with saving the world anymore. No. You have you have exploration. Google it. You know, yeah, and pleasure times three. <laughs> right. Yeah, he doesn't need X Men or his family at that point. <laughs> he goes rogue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So dance like you sh- again. When Marvel's in a rut, come to First Issue Club. <laughs> Add a butthole. <laughs> our official stance. Add a butthole. It is. It is pretty. It is a cop out, and I'm. I'm glad someone told him eventually to stop just trying to. I assume, or he just had the clarity. I- well, because I get the impulse to like respond out of like not wanting to be misrepresented. Sure. But that to me doesn't seem like that. That just seems like, no, you're wrong. I'm actually right and you're going to see that. And like that's the wrong way to go about interacting <laughs> yeah. online with anyone. No matter who you are. Oh, these these faceless people will come around. <laughs> yeah. Once they hear the logic <laughs> I have. They're interested in uh-huh. learning why I'm right and they're wrong. So if we've learned anything today, it's that Gene, Wolvie, and Cyclops are in a thruple, <laughs> and that it'd be great to have a couple extra buttholes. Let's get this podcast started. On the podcast is Doctor Who number one from Titan Comics. We've got the standing creative team here. Jody Hauser, who you may know from Valiant's Faith, and the artist Roberta Ingranata from Witchblade. Beautiful art on images Witchblade and beautiful art here in this Doctor and Who I book. And I think the main A cover was Peach Pimoko. Yeah. Wonderful cover. I love that this title appeared to be Doctor Who Comics. Yes. On the cover. Did you guys catch that? So there's yeah. no confusion. Well, oh my gosh, well, you Google so Doctor many... Who and there's yeah. so many things. Oh, 50 it's... million. Yeah. <laughs> and there's always, which which boggles my mind, there's always the live action 
cover. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which makes it hard to be like. I mean, that's kryptonite who, for me. If yeah, I see a live action. Even wa- yeah, I don't. Know. Super fans. Yeah. Well, I'll say that these comics are very much intermingled with the live show currently. Well, actually, when you get the intro within the cover and kind of get up to speed on who the players are. It's and like this is the 12th is. Doctor. Yeah. The, they're using actual headshots of the actors in place of drawings of the characters. You guys and are who heads. We got who heads in the, in the house. No, we're not. They're not. <laughs> I was just about to say, I was just about to let everyone speak for themselves. <laughs> Can everyone kind of rate for us, maybe on, let's say, one to ten, like what level of familiarity you have with Doctor Who? Uh, I know that there's a phone booth. Yep. I know Much it's like called Superman. A, I know it's called a TARDIS. Uh-huh. And I know that... There's a thing called a Dalek, I think. I that, like bad guys. You've already surpassed yes. that, I know. I would um, put you guys at a uh, two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's generous. Yeah. A generous two. I mean, that's about where I am, right? Old BBC show. They've I like changed... David Tennant. I... Oh, see, look. Man, there you, you know more than you were <laughs> pretending You're to You're a who head. <laughs> Uh, I liked the first iteration's music. The theme song was amazing. With oh, the, now it's coming out, and we're finding <laughs> that people know all. No, of these that because it was on a Gorillaz mixtape. Yeah. Oh, okay. There's, all right. a, there's also a rapper named Dalek, which is how I learned what. Oh, okay. Uh, a Dalek was, and then I watched the first season of the new BBC show, which isn't new anymore. I guess that was a long time ago. On my honeymoon. So you're our resident Doctor Who expert. By seeing one season, <laughs> you know more than the rest of us. I haven't seen a full episode, homie. Neither have I. Uh-uh. If if you want the like one stop review of this, is like this is written for Doctor Who fans. End of story. You don't think accessible for an outside audience? I found it not only inaccessible for outside audiences, but unenjoyable for outside audiences. It's the same reason we didn't cover the uh, Stranger Things D&D book. Well, the, I, it's the, important to mention, too, that just like I said, this is the standing creative team for it, that this was essentially picking up a new arc of an ongoing story. They've given it a number one, but it's spiritually, you know, number 345. <laughs> of, well, yeah. And, and we don't. Who. We knock books for not being uh, easy access or whatever. This book, I think, doesn't have to be. This the Doctor Who fan base is is one of the largest fan bases it, right. that, that exists. It would make sense that they have a hard-to-access book catering to their fan base. That is fine. They're not necessarily hurting for new readers and, and I think, or new consumers. I think the core premise is, is that they're like time-traveling heroes. And, time, di- and time dimension cops? time surgeons <laughs> time surgeons hey and yeah. dimension hopping as well fixing issues that need to be fixed in order to keep like the universe in alignment somehow more or less yeah okay so budget king when you watched that one season did you like it to be honest i was watching it and it was like this is goofy as shit the production value was like very much like early pbs and so it was like so fun to watch being like how they dealt with like the graphics and stuff. It, it didn't seem like it took itself seriously, which made it so inviting. Being an American audience, it's really hard to get past that on some British shows like the IT crowd. Or like Red Dwarf, like some of the older ones, like yeah. production values not necessarily there. Or you have like 
very intricate British humor that's maybe not gonna translate to American audiences. Yeah. Yeah, and so I mean, it does not I think Doctor Who is fun in that like I don't think it's trying to be like too heady. I think it gets there, but it's like if you want heady, you do Star Trek. If you, if you want like fun, ambiguous romance, I'm a what's that called? What do they call you when you're like you're into British shit? An Anglophile. Oh, <laughs> oh, what? An, An Anglophile. My wife loves English culture and soccer. I call her an Anglophile, and she doesn't like it because it has file in it, and she oh. just sounds like pedophile. <laughs> uh, uh. She's just like, that gives me chills. <laughs> oh, because it sounds like I'm a pervert for English people. But we digress. Uh, this book was essentially about Doctor Who and team coming back from an adventure in the past. And they find out they've fucked up the future. It's like a Planet of the Apes situation, just with more reptilian (laughs) captors. You do get the idea that it is kind of silly and quirky. But the idea that the multiple doctors can interact with each other is really fun. Yeah. And I think that gives you... that, That makes the translation to comic book form really interesting. Because you can have an actor who played Doctor Who 30 years ago interact with you know the doctor who right now it's like how q can come and be on any star trek show and like reference how he's interacted with all the other captains just to put it in terms i understand (laughs) totally yeah i wish that it were more like like a highlander situation where they had to like kill each other if they saw each other (laughs) there can only be one yeah there was like a passing on of the torch yeah yeah, then it'd be Highlander. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where else but it, it would is, go. It yeah. is neat, yeah, to have like to have the various experiences of those who have held the mantle in one yeah. storyline. It does bring a riches to it. I I think that th- this book in general would have been had I been watching the show, I think I would have like really enjoyed this reset and, Same. and stuff. I, I think I need to watch it now. Like, it's just making the case that I've held out for so long, worried I wasn't going to like it, having had friends who have been so into it. up we've got the recount number one on scout comics by jonathan hedrick and gabriel ibar nunez um this is a book about the president being assassinated during a resignation speech well i think the striking point of this book is that it's so like balls to the wall with the agenda of this organization that you start to learn more about it's like that wasn't enough. They've got to go after the VP. They've got to go after everybody who even voted for this guy. Right. I have, I have a question. Do we need this book right now in, <laughs> in our lives? It's shockingly parallel, let's, so I don't know, let's, let's start, honestly. Let's go. Let's let's pull at that string for a minute. Yeah. You Let's let's say it takes a year to write a comic book mm-hmm. but it, and, and get it from start to finish, well, right? We're talking about like the art and everything being made, sure, too. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. You know you're releasing it during November. A yeah. year ago, you you would have even thought. So this is pre-COVID. You would have thought Trump was winning. Probably uh-huh. he was yeah. higher higher in the polls. Uh-huh. Um, so it's either just like amazingly on the nose, and they re- they change the name and the premise at the last minute to be on the recount, or they just like a huge marketing ploy to just be like with in election centric 
kind of like right. realm or whatever. But there's no way that it's an accident that this is coming out now. No, no. absolutely but, not. But is there much social commentary here? I guess should we talk more about the comic before we get into that conversation? Um, I have, I have a comment on that. Okay. Because I, I think that it's going to be different than your guys' take on it. I think that it, there is social commentary yeah. on this because I believe that anything at this point in time that's not just affirming the normal democratic process and is seeding any doubt that the government is in like some type of grand conspiracy or there's like a cabal or anything like that, I think that that is not something I want or will affirm even even for the basis of it just being sci-fi write something else yeah it's pretty totally. dangerous in my opinion right here yes yeah. this, this is something that a QAnon member picks up and goes oh this is this is real or oh, it's interesting look it's interesting yeah yeah look at this parallel like this is how fucking pizzagate gets started but to that point yeah it might be helpful to have like a premise of like what actually goes down right after this president is assassinated we really start to question was this a lone gunman act or is there more at play here does the vice president have to be worried about who else is in play and that was where this book really thrived for me i i almost thought that they could have let that go for an entire story arc i would have loved like four issues of trying to find out if anyone else was involved or not so yeah. that that being said although i had like that's why i didn't want to put my hot take at the at the top i would have wanted it buried I when this bury the hot take, <laughs> bury, bury it and reward it later on because the like kimchi exactly <laughs> yes let 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 that fer like fermented yeah the, that fermented taste just waft <laughs> in your mouth for a while we just coined something great <laughs> kimchi take um but I I think when I got done with this book I was like no I want more like it it felt like reading like the best of a Jack Reacher I I almost wanted to compare it to that like crazy jamie fox movie where he like oh i love that movie. oh olympus down olympus has fallen right yeah <laughs> applebee's has fallen black black hawk has fallen olympus is down um <laughs> i don't know it just seems like it is um diving into a delusion or like i don't know the right words for it but you're ex just like idolizing fucking chaos explain that though because I, I didn't get to that part of the synopsis so as the book goes on we realize that there's like this rogue militia that is so adamantly against the administration that not only are they going to try to kill every member in his cabinet uh the vice president their families but people who actually voted for christensen to become president and i right. think it's even more prevalent than like a rogue militia because they have members of the secret service that are involved um, members probably of other high-profile state departments or agencies. Like, if, if you're going to infiltrate the Secret Service, you're probably doing other things. Mm -hmm. um, they're all masked when they appear on television, so it's kind of that whole anonymous, like, you don't know who we are type of thing. And, th and that's my thing here, is that, one, we've established they knew when they were releasing this, and this this is intentional. Okay, that's that's stamped, right? We get that. Then they have two things that parallel our current time too closely. One, the attempted assassination of the Michigan governor mm -hmm. by a militia who and kidnapping. They're going to kidnap and him. Ki ki and, and actually, I think they were going. Their plan was to murder her on mass television. So that's dangerous water to to tread on. The second one, the one of the th the theories going on here is that be wary of voter stuff because 
they could find out who you voted mm-hmm. for and use that against you. That is verbatim the bullshit we're in right now of tossing speculation on voting and stuff. I just think it. I'm not. To, I'm not trying to be a triggered uh, libtard here, but like <laughs> this is. It's just a little bit too close it's to not home. Fantastical enough. Yeah. Or we have. I'm sorry to go down this because I'm fired up. We we have a 17 year old who took an assault rifle and murdered people on the street straight up murdered them and then got a two million dollar bail is not in jail yeah like what what world do we live in right now i'll answer my own question we live in a world where crazies could take over the country because they have more guns than us so like i don't know maybe this comic book's gonna come around and say no 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 the militia's the bad guy my main problem with it is that the militia seems to be the good guy in this comic book so far. Oh, I didn't think so. Did you I not? Okay, good. I didn't either. I good. was going to ask if you guys could telegraph whether this was written by a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian, anything on that spectrum. Okay, that's good then. Yeah. I I couldn't I don't, tell. I don't think it was I don't think it was portraying the politicians as the good guys either. D- dollars to donuts it was a libertarian <laughs> <laughs> i was going that right I mean, that's 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 a little bit what i got yeah i i think that the vice president and her bodyguard which are the lead whoo, and those are going to be the two that you're rooting for and they're going to be on the side of how can we a survive this and then b stop this? Sure. From- so good writing on them that we don't even know who we're yeah. rooting for at, at this. I point. I think so. Yeah. I, not to go back and rehash the conversations we were having prior, but I mean, in the book's defense, a little bit, I think I see people <clears throat> on TV that say if Biden wins, this country could go into civil war, and I say in my head, what would that look like? And this book is like. Oh, yeah. Here's well, here's what, what it'll look here's like. Here's what that would look like, right? <laughs> if we're saying there's so many crazy people <laughs> that would actually incite something like that in our real world, and this isn't like far fetched enough for us, I can understand how that would be scary and seem like fuel to the fire, maybe. I don't think this is actively a call to arms. No, I don't comic think so book. either. I don't no, think it's, it's not. It's at definitely all. taking the idea to the far end of the needle of just like. Let's explore this thought. If, if we read this eight years ago, we'd have a fully different perspective on the book. Yeah. yeah. It just would have been another yeah. political theory. Th- Unfortunately, th- we're living in the well, precursor and it's to weird. this scenario. It's weird for it to be a call to arms because I think the things that they're paralleling, like if you have the militia that's sort of like a QAnon or the masked people on TV, but then the, the president that it's like most emulating is Trump. Like those are just some kind of like weird mixed things that it's not you can't clearly say oh this is how it's 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 happening exactly as it would have happened right in the darkest timeline of 2020 and and here's something that we didn't mention before was that we found that this president i believe it's alluded to that they were impeached yeah we're kind of picking up that it's not just we don't agree with you it's that you have to be held accountable with your life for the the wrong there and we're additionally holding accountable the people who emboldened you and the people who put you in power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that little bit there, I think, was a little motivation unknown to the reader, like what exactly this president did that triggered everybody. Mm-hmm. And that might be an interesting reveal in coming issues. Yeah. And, in, and in, I mean, a little bit of an, an additional interesting commentary on 
that you you do embolden these politicians with the way that you vote and and a large part of the division that we're seeing right now like in reality is because certain optics have been emboldened like certain platforms and strategies and things to just say on Twitter or you know in press conferences have been wildly accepted by large amounts of people in mass like yeah I, I and that sh- that should be you know a thing that we could hold people accountable for if it's wrong but it's just not on either side really yeah I mean as intriguing and as much of a thought experiment as this book was I honestly don't think I'm gonna keep up with it because I don't have the headspace to just explore these these questions it's, a good so point. I, I it's live, like the opposite of escapism right I live in this universe I'm I'm dealing with the news every day that maybe this could be a potential outcome I don't want to see it played out in my comic books where i go to uh, escape this yeah if a book was like you know what if 2020 could be even darker or what if 2021 was even worse than this year mm-hmm. to it <laughs> <laughs> i'll say to its credit and even more so because there's been times that we've given scout books on this podcast a hard time at a bare minimum entertaining as hell i'd, I'd agree super with entertaining very thought-provoking a lot to discuss and think about here. Do I will say that like usually we don't have a whole lot to be able to really get in and digest if a book is just meh. So it can't be, you know, just meh. Like this for all of it maybe making you feel feelings while you're reading it. Like it it had to it had some meat. Yeah, and I I've been trying to I actually was like just Greg's hot take of like this person's a libertarian. I was like, well, we could just look at the other books that they've written, and the other books they they haven't written a lot. Uh, there's like a there's like a handicap superhero. It's called book, it's right? called Capable. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, a person of color as well that is in a wheelchair at least. And then there's a series of freak show uh, comics, which I'm a big fan of. Freaks one called like Freak Show Jester or something like that. I can't tell what it is, but it seems like this is at least a person that is trying to write different perspectives interesting perspectives it might just be a thought bubble like discourse for them to be like what if and it landed as very entertaining and i don't think it was holistically tone deaf i do i feel like i get triggered if we give a little bit of microphone space to crackpots but this might just be a fun thriller and that's all it is same conversation about the joker movie before it came out remember Mm -hmm. how upset everyone was that it was uh, potentially giving a voice <laughs> yeah. to incels who take justice into their own hands. You guys remember when um, the pandemic was just kicking off, it was just getting started, mm-hmm. and the book uh, The Clock came out, which was about a pandemic and the, yes. like the doomsday oh, clock, yeah. or the, the death clock moving up. It's just like, timely, but I don't want to read this right now. Please and thank you. <laughs> so it sounds like the TLDR on this one <laughs> is a little heavy for the time we're in, but not bad. Look out for this writer. Yeah. Because they did a good job putting an interesting book together and there may be things from them in the future that are well worth your time and money. Oh, right. we let's close out. Close out with reading Twitter handles. <laughs> yeah. Ring them up. Oh, what are we doing? What is this segment? Did you know? Is this a show within a show? This is because I listened to the very, very end of the episode that Budget King edited, and he did a little solo show at the end. Oh my god! Of last week's episode. Yes. <laughs> he like goes the main feed. Uh huh. What did you do? You went rogue on us. He goes, uh oh, Budget King here. 
god. No, basically what he did was he did he did our closeout. He told everybody who we are, uh, primary color music. We yeah. record from the moon now, and then he did a cool thing where he read off some Twitter handles from our uh, Twitter feed of some of our fans that have talked to us recently. They've liked our post, and I thought that was a great idea of a way to engage our audience. Networking. Greg, this should be your segment. You're like Twitter master, so do you just say, hey, Budget King did this last time. Now it's my turn, you dirty rat bastard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Give a quick uh, Twitter shout-out to Real Comics, Comic Nerd 2, 40 Ounce Goose, BT Morgan 85, Just a Vargas. Thanks, guys, for hanging out, engaging, and being cool. And comic book dads. And comic book dads. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot forget about comic book dads. They were mad at us because we didn't shut them out last time. So here they are. Full on two sentences. It's more than anyone else got. Yep. Yeah. <laughs>